guys and gals and undead pals you ready for the penultimate episode for season three and my dog crying because she is an attention hog well if you want to hear elizabeth's dog cry you're in luck that and facts about death so yes you are in luck <laughs> one of you can either like one or two of those things. You might even get all three. Okay, so, uh, yeah, this penultimate episode, uh, and I guess the next one are going to be about Appalachian Death Customs, because I found a thesis called Burial Practices in Southern Appalachia <laughs> by uh, Donna W. Stansberry. And um, so it comes from there, and it also comes from, now this is a thesis, so it's heavily notated, but then there is um, another article that is uh, Sitting Up with the Dead, Lost Appalachian Burial Customs by Hope Thompson, which that seemed to be of a more like first-hand account, like a more like oral tradition, you know, what she was told and what she witnessed, you know with her family. I mean, and, um, then my favorite, which we'll get to at the last, maybe in the next episode, is, uh, from the website, uh, Blind Pig and the Acorn. And the, uh, article is, uh, or I guess the blog post, uh, it's from 2016, October 27th. So almost exactly to the day. Death superstitions and traditions in Appalachia. Cool. Okay. To kind of get people, I guess, introduced to the area, we're going to talk about the geography of uh, Appalachia a little bit. Um, so, here we go. Um, also, shit, do we want to do any, like, <laughs> banter? Rock. <laughs> we haven't done any um... banter. Ooh, banter about Appalachia. I guess because we bantered for an hour before. Yeah. So all of our banter is... <laughs> we used it up. We used it up. Sorry, guys. I know that the witty repartee is what you all look for in this podcast, Grant and Abby. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, we're just going to get into the nitty gritty. I wrote stuff down, and now I'm going to read it to you. Oh, hell yeah. So thank you, Donna W. Stansberry. Um, I'll try not to fuck up too much. <laughs> so Appalachian burial customs are unique in the American landscape. Though, as with most folk customs, they are fading due to the commercialism of the funerary industry. In the 19th century, death was personal and a communal responsibility. So a big key to the southern highlands of Appalachia is the remoteness. The isolation led to unique funerary practices and their relative longevity as compared to the rest of the U.S. The southern highlands comprise the four most western counties of Maryland, the Blue Ridge Valley, the Alheny Ridge counties of Virginia, sorry, all of West Virginia, just all of it, East Tennessee, East Kentucky, Western North Carolina, and the foremost northwestern counties of South Carolina, northern Georgia, and northeastern Alabama. And so if you are a visual learner like me, uh, this means almost nothing. But I just thought that I would let you all know. <laughs> um, also, if you disagree with uh, this idea of what uh, the southern highlands of Appalachia are, you can... Uh, it's according to John C. Campbell in his book, The Southern Highlander and His Homeland, so take it up with him. But I think he's probably dead. I'm sorry if he's not. And as always, there can be only one. I'm sorry, I had to do my Christopher Lambert Highlander impression. <laughs> anyway. Um, and so this is a quote from Loyal Jones and Faith and Meaning in the Southern Upland. I believe that rural uplanders have an organic and natural relationship with the cycle of life and death. 
seeing it always around them. Ordinary folk talk more frankly of death than do those who may feel that dwelling on death and tragedy is somehow unsophisticated. Joan Bailey Howard in Death and Burial in the Mountains, she talks on the idea that the Southern Highlanders' death customs were often seen as primitive and eccentric, you know, like hill folk, uh, when in fact they were modified practices that dealt with the environmental factors and extreme isolation. And many of the practices that we will be talking about uh, have roots in older Irish, Scottish, and British traditions that settlers brought with them. And these customs show people who had uh, an immense respect for the dead. And this is from uh, Donna Lowry in the article, uh, A Perspective on Death in Appalachia. It says the Appalachian people have demonstrated a self-sufficiency, the ability to respond to their isolation and environment, a pervading independence and a, and a capacity to make do with their situation. Evident is the Appalachian attitude of keeping the dead body intact and inviolable. So now we're going to get into some of the burial customs. Now that you kind of like, well, I guess it's just like, so like basically what it's saying is that uh, the southern upland of, of Appalachia is extremely remote and still is, or it was back in the day and it still can be now. It's been, uh, I think some of the like, poorest places in America, just kind of, uh, over the century, like, it's just, it's kind of stayed, you know, remote, and, um, that was eloquent, but, yeah, but basically, I, I know that, like, I know that, uh, Appalachia itself, uh, the southern upland and just Appalachia in general is, can be still extremely remote, especially for, like, what Americans expect, yeah. I don't think that they expect things to be as rough and tumble. I think all America, I think that some American, I shouldn't say all Americans, but I think that there some Americans have in mind that like everyone has access to electricity or running water. And that's not always the case. And these people, it just kind of is like kind of always been that way. I mean, obviously things are modernizing, but yeah, just the remoteness in the mountains made it a lot harder than in other places, which is why these customs didn't die off as fast as other places because it was just easier to keep doing them. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, burial customs. According to Margaret Coffin, I know, right? Sorry. Death in early America, she says, the custom of wearing black is an ancient and originating in the era when people believed that spirits stayed around the deceased for a time. It was believed that the living wore, that if the living wore black, the spirits would not be able to easily distinguish them and therefore would not be able to harm them. And so like, my question is knowing a little bit about, and I, when I say a little bit, I mean very little. So please, <laughs> please don't take offense. But, um, I know that in like the belief systems of like Irish and Scottish folk religions, um, the other world is not removed from the earthly plane it's like a thin veil on top and it's something that at least in their stories can be pierced either on purpose or accidentally and really can happen at any time so i kind of wonder if maybe um this like idea of like having to fend off spirits is because of this idea that like or maybe this, like, uh, you know, because I, I know that with, like, uh, Christianity coming in, things obviously changed a little bit. But this idea that, like, the other place was not, it's it's not up in the sky. It's right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I pulled that out of my ass, but I just, but I do just kind of wonder. <laughs> so, and in Death on the Cumberland, all these books are just so, uh, they're just so uplifting. They just sound like such a... Death in Early America. Death on the Cumberland. Although Death in the Cumberland sounds like the missing Agatha Christie novel, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. It sounds it sounds like a, a southern... I do declare, Mr. Wilberforce, where did you get that gun? <laughs> like, if Poirot went to the south. <laughs> oh my god, if Poirot went to the south, I think that everyone's head would explode. Uh... <laughs> Oh yeah, sorry. In Death on the Cumberland, uh, William Montell writes that both men and women were black, but widows 
could be shunned if their mourning period was thought to be too short by their community. Because, you know. Yeah, we need other reasons to shame women. <laughs> Some things never change. And good lord, for Queen Elizabeth, like, uh, I think, like, a lot of a lot of what they're referring to now is, like, before Queen Victoria's reign, which is good, because it's just, like, it's like, but it's been 30 years, it's just, like, well, she's been waiting 40, so, I, you know, <laughs> harlot, put your black back on, um, put your vestments, your mourning vestments should be back on. Okay, so, uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls isn't just a depressing Hemingway novel. The tolling of the bell was another custom used to ward away evil spirits. Uh, thought to have originated in Europe, uh, the custom eventually evolved into the ringing of the church bell to announce a death in the community. So several of the people interviewed in uh, this dissertation, because um, she, she talks to a lot of residents that were like alive during the period, or knew people who were alive during the period who could talk about these customs. Because, of course, a lot of it is oral tradition. A lot of it was not written down, so you still have to go and talk to people. Mm -hmm. uh, she says, uh, several of the people, they remember working in the fields and being able to hear the bell. And it would be struck the number of times that equal the deceased age. So people literally would be guessing for whom the bell tolled. Brunch. Because life wasn't hard enough. We have to make bad jokes. So, with as with money cultures, the wake was a major part of the funeral process. And I honestly, I have to apologize for spreading misinformation. I believe it was in our first season. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Um, where I thought that the term wake came from uh, the practice of seeing if the person might wake up from like an illness or like seeing, you know, making sure that the person was really, really dead. Um, that is that is not what a wake is. Wake, actually, the word actually, uh, the term comes from the Anglo-Saxon word lick, which means corpse. So the term actually refers to the vigil or watch that the living keep over the dead's body. So it's literally, you're having a corpse watch. You're watching the corpse. Corpse this watch. Is Sounds like maybe that should have been the name of our podcast. Corpse watch. Corpse watch. You're listening to corpse watch. It sounds like, it sounds like a, a band that would try and one-up Death Clock and then we would be murdered in like a terrible way on one mm -hmm. of their concerts. <laughs> So uh, this actually dates back to pre-Christianity. Um, it's pre-Christian tradition and that many cultures observed. And so uh, while wakes sometimes made it easier to make sure the death had occurred, that was not its that was not like its intended purpose. Irish wakes sometimes had corpses stood up in the room so that the deceased could better participate. And this was written that, that apparently uh, any signs of open mourning, so like openly being sad, could be punished by law, which I don't know about that one. Our listeners in Ireland, let us know. Or Irish American, like if you, uh, if if this just sounds like an old wives tale, let us know. But it sounds a bit, sounds a bit, <laughs> sounds a bit harsh. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like too waspy, you know? Well, but also, like, isn't, like, with, like, an Irish wake, isn't it supposed to be more like a party? Or, yeah, like, when, did, I, or I wonder, I wonder when that, if, if that, like, became the thing, like, became what it was, and, like, before that, it was, like, because, like, I feel like an Irish wake is very, it's, it's one way of being very Catholic, but... I've also, like, never been to an Irish wake, so I've really only seen it depicted in, right. like, TV, <laughs> so and that might be always, a caricature. Yeah. Which is always just kind of like, oh, uh, they're Irish, uh, they drink a lot. Yeah, so, like, I mean, it, like, sometimes, like, yeah, it's a party, and there is a lot of merriment and alcohol to be had, but, you know, it might not be. But it's also like this whole thing with St. Patrick's Day, where in Ireland it's still a religious, it's still a religious holiday, and it's not just a time for people to get shit based. America. Oh, and this is um from the Journal of American Folklore by Iana Alana Harlow. I'm so sorry. I thought I thought, I thought that this was very interesting, and especially talking about like propping up the corpse so that they could better take part in the ceremonies um says the wake marks a liminal moment in the social life of an individual in the period between death and burial 
a person being waked is physically still part of the community and is present at the social gathering, yet is unable to participate. Which I never really thought of that before. Yeah. <laughs> that is like a really liminal, it's just like, you're dead, but you're not in the ground yet. Mm-hmm. And you're still, yeah, you're still like a part of the community and the community is still taking care of you, even though you are deceased. It's kind of sweet. Yeah. Oh, and uh, here uh, there is kind of like a little bit of a rundown, not not through all of it, but uh, the Elliot Wigington uh, from the Firefox series um, kind of gives a rundown of yeah, the Southern Appalachian Wake. Yeah, we're talking about Firefox because what good anno-communist socialist doesn't talk about the Firefox series? Anyway, um, so the first sign is it's the first sign to the community was the tolling of the church bell. Family members and neighbors would immediately stop work and respond, gathering at the house of the deceased to begin burial preparations. Food was immediate. Food was an immediate second, and William D. Campbell um, noted somehow in the rural Southern culture, food is always the first thought of neighbors when there is trouble. And I was just like, ain't that the truth? Mm-hmm. Not a bad thing, but it's just yeah, like. Shit's going down, here, have some food. But I think that that's also, like, that happens in a lot of cultures. Yeah, yeah. Which, like, things are shitty. Here, have something tasty. It's like, it's not going to make the thing that's happening less shittier, but at least you're eating something tasty. Yeah, and and you don't have to worry about... Yeah, you don't have to prepare it yourself. You don't have to fucking worry about... It's like that time when I was uh, at uh, Provence and eating potato salad while crying (laughs) not really thinking about what I was shoving in my mouth because I was so stressed out my dad being sweet but also slightly giggling because it was ridiculous and then we get to uh, (laughs) segue into that and then we get to the laying out of the body in which it was washed and dressed in its finest clothes with no preservation ability Everything had to be done really, really fast before rigor mortis set in, if possible. And men and women, usually close family, attended to the body according to gender. Because even when the person's dead, unmarried people of the opposite sex cannot, that's, you know, mm, still a no-no. <laughs> I guess I guess it's more for the corpse. Maybe, right? I guess. To respect them, you know? I guess, yeah. No one sees them, them in there. Yeah, to treat them like they're still a person. Yeah, no one no one sees them in their skivvies that they wouldn't be like that they, you know, would be ashamed if it was in if it was in life or something. Yeah. So when embalming became common, a cooling board was used to lay out the body. Silver coins were placed on the eyes, and this is not for the ferrymen of the Greek myth but in the belief that one should enter heaven with their eyes shut. Closed eyes at the pearly gates symbolized that the person was not worthy of entering and was asking forgiveness for their sins. So kind of just picture, think of the dead as Wayne and Garth and God as Heather Locklear. And just, you know, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. That's all I could think of when I read that. Um, Also, pennies were not used because they could stain the skin green. And that's the last thing you want. That would be so awkward. That would be real awkward. Oh, also, to uh, to keep the deceased face looking so fresh, so clean, rags soaked in soda water, camphor, or aspirin were used as it kept the skin from losing the color before the viewing. So, like, I guess if you want to make someone look like they've been recently deceased, Murderers, take note. No, I'm kidding. Um, almost like a, a funerary beauty trick before there were funerary be- beauty tricks. Cool. And so the and then the funerary attire for the deceased was also incredibly important. Uh, in many cases, women had already made the dress that they were to be buried in, which is so goth. Um, <laughs> but also like, I would be I would be terrible in this society. They just wouldn't know what to do with me. It's like, Elizabeth, what, have you finished your death shroud? No, I'm tired. It's like, well, then that's why you got to get on it, girl. Like, <laughs> we know you're not long for this world. <laughs> Step it up. Step it up. Come on. 
just whip stitch that shit. Um, men had a sweet, oh, sorry, men had a suit set aside for the purpose. Just like, a, you know, it's for best, you know, like when you have something for company for best, it's the suit for best for when you die. If a person did not have appropriate uh, clothes, the members of the community would actually either donate items or the women in the community would make a special garments, the shroud. Women were customarily buried in either white or black. Children were buried always in white. And men usually wore a white shirt with a tie and pants. And I guess no jacket. Maybe a jacket? Who's to say? Who's to say? And, like, the way that it, like, looked, it was just like, wait, so with a shirt and tie but no pants? Or, okay, never mind. That's, no, definitely had pants. <laughs> that doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem like those people at all. Like, no one. <laughs> well, as a Kai, I always was a joker. Um, so, uh, this actually brings us to uh, digging the grave. When a person died, the community not only helped with the preparation of the body, but also the digging of the grave and building of the casket. This was usually done for no cost and was a way for the men in the community to show respect for the deceased and their family. Not only were communities isolated, many times the churchyard <laughs> was built on extremely rocky terrain. If you are from here, you know. Oh, you think that you're going to plant a tree in your backyard? Good fucking luck. There's actually a six-ton rock that's like... A foot under the ground. <laughs> mm -hmm. So fucking enjoy that. Have fun. We got bedrock, baby. Sometimes the communities had to resort to dynamite to help with grave digging to get the rocks out because, you know, didn't have heavy machinery. And this was obviously a concern for graves and structures that were already present. Probably pretty much anything that was nearby. Oh, no. Like, imagine just, like, Living in Appalachia in, like, 1800 and just like, oh, we can't just dig a grave. <laughs> we have to blast one out because everything is hard. If it was, unfortunately, the cold part of the year, fires would have to be lit to thaw the ground at various stages of digging. Because grave digging isn't hard enough. I don't... Kids, the movies have lied to you. All the MGM Universal, it's all lies. I don't know, I don't know how people are digging, digging grave, multiple graves or digging up people at night and getting back and looking, you know, fresh because it is quite an undertaking. And this brings us to the coffin. Some of the first burial containers were tree coffins, which I'm just a huge fan, obviously. Uh, according to Death and Dying in Appalachia, tree coffins are ancient dating back to prehistoric times. They can be found all over Europe and even in places where timber was less available, i.e. first century cypress tree coffin from Egypt. Sounds pretty badass. Uh, king Arthur is supposedly napping in an oak tree coffin while awaiting the call to return as king. A tree coffin consists of a tree roughly as big as the body that is cut, hollowed out with a foot adds, aid, adds, adds, foot adds. It's a, it's a tool. It is a, huh. it is a woodworking tool. Also like used for chopping and stuff. I know what I'm talking about. The top is then replaced and the trunk is buried. Tree coffins were replaced by rough hewn boxes. Rarely finished on the outside. Hank Hill is somewhere just, oh, just shuddering. So therefore they were often draped in black material. The interior would be padded with cotton and linen and with some kind of white material. So maybe some more cotton or linen or silk if you were like super duper fancy. But as communities grew and residents gained more skills and resources, coffins began to be more finished. The caskets were custom built with the deceased measurements out of either poplar, pine oak, pine oak, or chestnut. And uh, know how to make a coffin but not the handles? Worry not! Most local stores kept casket handles in stock because also they had to keep casket handles in stock. Rad. Just bleak. I have a woodworking book that uh, Nate sent me, and it has a whole bunch of different... It's... Oh, what is it called? It's called, like, the Anarchist Workbench, maybe? Something like that. Anyway, it has a whole bunch of... Anarchists, are, anarchists kind of... are branching out from cookbooks. Yeah, right? It has a whole bunch of 
pretty simple, straightforward furniture with like just just really like nice woodworking techniques. And one of the projects in the book is a coffin. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I think I told you, like, uh, Christine McConnell, she was talking about the fact she just got a coffin. She's going to, like, learn everything she can from it. And then she's going to make her own coffin because if you're if you're that kind of goth like, and, you, and you can, you got to, right? Yeah, right. Artistic goths. We got to we gotta start making our own coffins. Uh- <laughs> Save a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. It's fine. I have a tree all picked out. I'm actually, yeah, going to go. Then you die cutting down the tree. No, um, moving on. So in Eastern Kentucky, I actually really like this. Um, in Eastern Kentucky, the custom of coffin quilts was common. While alive, a cloth replica of a coffin with the name of the person was sewn into the border of the quilt. After death, the cloth coffin is re-sewn to the center of the quilt. The quilt is then put into the coffin for burial. Cool. Just, just a constant reminder. Just a constant little memento mori, like... Oh, Grandma, are you cold? Let me go get you your coffin quilt. That's so rad. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully people, I mean, I feel like this shows people, like, I mean, A, death was everywhere, but also, I don't know, people, it seemed like, I don't know, a wry sense of humor about it. Just like, oh, yeah, let me go get my coffin quilt. Or maybe, maybe that was, or maybe that was for best. Maybe that was the for best quilt, and we didn't use... No, no, we can't use that. That's Grandma's coffin quilt. <laughs> we don't want to get any stains on Grandma's coffin quilt. Um, and this now brings us to sitting up, which is the Appalachian version of awake. Foods, friends, and family were abundant. Singing, witnessing, and waiting for the spirit to leave the body was customary. Uh, friends and family would stay in the house of the deceased and use the time to speak of the person's life pay their respects, and comfort the family. This usually lasted until midnight. Their close friends and family would stay for days to help the family and put the house back in order. During the wake, the body was never left alone. People would take shifts sitting with the deceased because it is watching over the dead, making sure that nothing nothing untoward happens to them. Oh, also, oh yeah, so um, while a good Dothraki wedding takes multiple fatalities, the height of awake was when someone was saved. Uh, the life and death of the deceased was given meaning because God had redeemed another soul as a result of the person's death. Yay! Cool. I can't help but think of, like, what if it was getting on in the wake and that hadn't happened yet? Like, Whoa. would you feel obligated to be like, well... I mean, I already got saved at, like grandpas but maybe nobody remembers that maybe no one remembers want to want to make everyone feel good take one for the team yeah the next day the body was taken to the church for the service steers or mules were used to pull the mourners followed all in black and once the wagon was in sight the church bell tolled it tolled until the coffin was inside it tolls for you Services could last for an hour to an hour and a half, and there are some people who talk about them going even longer, which I don't I don't know if I could have handled that, especially in like an unair conditioned church, yeah, in, in the Smoky Mountains in black, yeah, no starts black, no sermons could be very fiery and could be sorry sermons could be very fire and brimstone, which. I think I talked to you about my aunt Jeffy, like that kind of happened with her husband's my and not my aunt, but my great aunt might even been my mother's great aunt. I'm not sure, but basically her husband struggled with alcohol all of his life and he died of cirrhosis of the liver and the preacher took it upon himself to apparently, uh, this is from my mother's account. Apparently the preacher took it upon himself to basically, uh, talk about the sins of drink and how, you know, uh, I think even like maybe that he wasn't saved and, you know, all this kind Yikes. of stuff. And forever after, like, Jeffy refused to go back to church. And when people would say a prayer at her house, she'd just be like, God knows we're thankful. Let's eat. She's just like, nope, not doing it. Which, you know, honestly, I can, um, I can understand. 
Yeah. Which, like, with a lot of the people, like, they kind of talked about, uh, and a, a couple of them were ministers, and how, like, witnessing that as children, <laughs> like, how that's kind of changed, but I'll, I'll get to that later on, like, but, like, how the sermon has changed over time. So, um, after the, after the service, uh, the casket was opened one last time, and it was custom to put objects in before burial. Jewelry, glasses, tobacco, pipes, guns, knives, toys, the Bible, and booze were all common. The closing was done only by close friends and relatives, and the funeral was not over until the closing was finished. And if there had actually been a long illness, uh, care was taken by friends and relatives to clean or air out and disinfect the deceased room, which is just, I think, so nice and sweet. And yeah, you're just kind of like, you just don't have, you're just wiped out and having someone just like to be able to just like, we got it. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think it's really sweet. Um but the Appalachian of you on death is a fatalistic one. Taint no use to take on so. Like the leaves on the trees, we all drop. One by one, and when your time comes, we'll miss you for a spell. Then we'll forget. Which is just, like, so brutal. <laughs> but mm-hmm. also just, like, but also I, 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 I see it and I hear it. And I, it's not, uh, it's like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Especially, like, when life was so hard, you just, you couldn't carry that forever. Yeah. The the quote was by an unknown man. I was sorry, I was, I was looking for the source, and the source is unknown. It's just some, yeah. Unknown Appalachian proverb, apparently. <laughs> the final step in the process was the setting of the tombstone. Usually this was a field rock that had been smoothed, then inscribed with the deceased name. And so then this actually gets into, um, uh, sorry, this actually gets into her talking with residents in different places, with Donna talking to residents in different places. And I thought that I'd just read them, and if they're interesting, great. And if they're not, we can cut it. (laughs) Apparently, the funeral industry has always lagged in the South because of poverty, rurality, and the religious outlook of Southerners. And it's always been distinctive because of their levels of displays of grief. And then this is uh, some stuff from Lara from Sneedville, Tennessee. She talked about uh, when there wasn't a funeral home, the embalming was done at the home of the deceased. The blood of the dead was usually offered to a close family member for disposal. When her grandfather died, her father was given his blood to dispose of. He went to a creek. And I'm going to tell you, i uh, got a quote from Laura, and she's talking about um, that where she's from, most, most families have private cemeteries, so. Which we've actually talked about, like, how that can actually be, like, hard for preservation because of a lot of, yeah. Yeah, this is from Laura from Sneedville. She said, my daddy had one sitting up with Mr. Haynes, who was a mortician at the time that came up on Mulberry and helped to do an embalming, and he asked the lady, said, where do you want me to put the blood? And she and her husband didn't get along too good, and she said, just put it wherever you want to put it, and he put it around the rose bush. How about that? Wow. Yeah. She said that although that incident occurred over 70 years ago, the rose bush remains in Laura's front yard and is big and as hardy as ever. So I guess uh, blood's good for roses. But also, that's just, like, that's also just, like, some of the most southern shit. Just, like, where do you want it? Ah, fuck it, I don't care. Yeah, right? I guess I'll put it on the roses, then. It's gotta be practical. Least you can wa- least we can do is water the plants. Jesus. Sorry, I just thought, like, I don't know. I, I really like the way that Laura talked, so I uh, wanted to get as much from her as possible. Hell yeah. Uh, Laura said when the funeral home opened in 1936, a shift from people's homes happened. How much more convenient had um, to have preparation, viewing, and service all in one place? Still, it was much more impersonal. And here's another quote from Laura. Because back then, everybody was closely knit. And when one hurt, they all hurt. Now so many times we go to view a body and we're sad about it, but it doesn't stick with us like it used to. 
Apparently, during the 1918 flu epidemic, her grandfather, a coffin maker, would slide the coffins through the door and wait for it to be pushed out again, already sealed. Which is practical, but grim. Even for a coffin maker. Good thing we've learned so much, right? And anyway, uh, so thank you, Laura, for sharing with Donna and for sharing with us. And I'm so sorry that I keep forgetting Donna's name, but let's pretend like I didn't. This next section is from Neil and Joy from Hamblin County. So Joy was taken to funerals as a small child, but her mother, by her mother, sorry, young children were not an unusual sight. Funerals were for the whole community. Neil, when asked about unusual burial practices, spoke of his longtime friend who asked him for a favor. Now I'm going to orate for Neil. Jim was a medic in World War II. And he had seen people die, and all he could do was just take their dog tags and wrap them up in a parachute or something. He said, when I die, I want to be buried in a pine coffin. He said, would you build me a pine coffin? And I said, yes. His sons were there a couple of weeks later and understood that that's what he wanted. And I went ahead and made him one. And the only difference I can see in that is that it's not commercialized. You take and build a commercial coffin, they'll cost maybe 200, 300, and they'll sell for like 5,000. And it's a money-making proposition. And I think that's the way he felt, that it shouldn't be a commercialized thing. He just wanted to be put in the ground in a pine box. And that's what they put him in the ground in, in a pine box. Hell yeah. And that was Wayne talking about his friend. I mean, maybe it's not appropriate for me to say hell yeah about that, but like... Yeah, like, the not to, like, get off topic. Nope, so sorry. That was Neil. I'm so sorry. The page flipped when I was talking. Sorry, um, go on. But, but yeah, just, like, the kind of commercialization of, like, the idea that, that making a cot, like you said earlier, like, and I imagine that this is, you know, true in, in other cultures and other places in America with different traditions brought over by different immigrant groups and but the idea that like building the coffin was a service that used to be done either by a friend of the family or by the community and now it's like as a way to show respect yeah yeah. it was utilitarian at first but it was still yeah it's still it still could be made with care despite being a utilitarian object and then and and you could tell, I mean, like, it, like there might have been small ways, but... Yeah, and then, like... You could tell how much people cared by, like, the little things that they did, the little tokens that yeah. they, you know... I know that nowadays there are, a, you know, being, <laughs> being a carpenter, being just some, you know, a woodworker, somebody who knew how to build a coffin was probably a much more common thing than it is now, but... The idea. Oh yeah, like you can't go to your neighbor. Like I, I think that I think that my neighbor. I won't say his name because of anonymity. But I think that he would be like if I was like, hey, can you build like a box for me? I need it. Like, can you build like a, just like a pine box in these dimensions? He'd just be like, no, and why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, well... he probably could. But. <laughs> but yeah, most like, but yeah, this is not. It's. It's so commercialized that this is not a skill that people are taught, because um, they're not they they don't need to be taught it. They don't need to, yeah. Except except in these communities where there is a lack of uh, a lack of resources, um, it can actually be really helpful. Like it would have been it would have been cool it would have been cool if uh, I had like yeah something to bury my although like I said my dad would have hated burning wood burning beautiful wood but like a pine box or something. That's definitely what I thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it was not. Yeah. Yeah. It's he just went like... to his final reward in what looked like uh, an Office Depot sturdy box. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit jarring. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was, I was I expecting was... the coffin. I was expecting the pine box. I was like, prepared nothing... for that because of what you went through. <laughs> so I was yeah. glad. Because, like... Yeah. That somebody told you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that it wasn't something I just had to find out about how shit works now. Which, like, I mean, on, and, like, and I, I, 
I get it on a certain level, like maybe it's more eco-friendly, but it just is a little, but I don't know, there's a, it hits you on a visceral level. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you want to put your loved one in a moving box? Or do you want to actually, like, say that you cared about them and put them in a big, expensive box? <laughs> yeah. Bullshit. Uh, Bullshit capitalism. Anyway, continue. Well, no, actually, because uh, both uh, Joy and Neil, sorry, Neil, you got switched to Wayne, and I didn't mean that. Um, but both Joy and Neil spoke about their concern of the commercialization of the funeral industry. And uh, probably that the custom of wakes stopped because uh, of the use of funeral homes, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, the idea of sitting up with a body, even if there's like a spiritual want and need, uh, funeral homes, it's it's not a, I mean, it is, yes, it is a home, but like, it's not a real home. It's not a place where you can go and like, crash and snoo, you know, it's not, to me, like, it doesn't have the feeling that you can like, kind of button down and just like rest while it's happening which like I'm sure that you know I'm sure that there was decorum that was wanted at these times but also like people could have a break like that's you know that's what having like having a wake in a home like people took turns and other people could have breaks and it was okay to like it was a lot and so but having to do that in a foreign place that is not a home yeah, I could see that just dissipating really quickly because that would just feel so, I don't know, for me personally, it would just make something that would be really hard, even harder because like they weren't surrounded by like all this familiar stuff. Although maybe on the other hand, maybe there are some people it's like, yeah, I don't want that to be my last memory of them. So I don't want them, I don't want to see them in the house dead, but you know, but I think that back then it was such a, death was so death was everywhere so it wasn't such a shock and people were born in houses and died in houses and it didn't mar the house like as much I feel like as it would now especially you know I guess uh if things went right yeah you would you would die in your home and then people would continue to live in it and it would be fine yeah I mean I expected um we really should have had a counter for this season for the number of times you and I have both brought up our dead dads. Um, Ooh, hey, for people listening at home, it's not too late. <laughs> right in with how many times we've mentioned our dead dads this season. And you guys, you can go the extra mile and see how many times I've been talking about my dad, my dead dad from the past two seasons. <laughs> um, you want real extra credit. Yeah. Great, great way to get up those numbers. Listen to yeah. the past seasons. Oh, but are you doing it for this content? No, I'm just I'm trying to see how many times they mention their dead dads. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so my my dad died at home, and I guess I kind of it, when when I came home, I went to my aunt's house because that's where my mom was. And uh, we spent the night. I think we only spent like one night there, and then we went back to our house. And I think I expected to be, like, a little creeped out or, like, you know, feel, a, you know, feel like, you know, some kind of way about the fact that, like, oh, it's, a, you know, because that's, like, a thing. And it's, like, a trope in, like, when, like, people, a family's looking at a house and it's, like, oh, somebody died here. It's not always a murder. It's the start of every horror movie. Or they don't tell them. It's, like, oh, you didn't know that someone died here? Yeah. And, like... In reality, it was just kind of like, ultimately, like, just kind of like, it's, it's fine. Like, it's cool. Like, it's not, it's not like anything, like, bad happened, you know? It's not like, yeah, you know, it's just kind of, it a, a thing happened, a sad thing happened. In some ways it was bad, but it wasn't like, you know, it's, it's just part of what happens to everybody um so yeah i expected to be like weirded out by that and i was not so i think that for me it was um i didn't have time to think about it because i i also was like in my dad's home before he died yeah so like i was 
I was there and I could see that there were like signs of severe illness and that made me upset because like I wish that I had known yeah mm-hmm. I wish that like because if I had known like I would have made him go to the hospital a lot sooner but also like I was taking care of his dog and I was sleeping there because like I lived in Colombia and so it was just easier for me to like if I needed to catch some shut eye and so it was it didn't the, I guess like the transitional was different mm-hmm. like it didn't it felt lonesome, but it wasn't traumatic. Yeah. But of course, that's like, you know, I'm sure that like other people have like different experiences, but also these are people from, you know, the 1800s, 1900s, when it was just, it was, death was life. People yeah. died all the time. And I, I don't. I wouldn't say that people were numb to it. I would say that they were more practical about it. And, yeah, they saw it more as, like, a natural progression of life. And sometimes it sucked, but it wasn't this, like, terrifying, you know, thing that, you know, like, it's like, it's going to happen to everybody. And they were, yeah, they were much more pragmatic about it, especially because they got a especially in this place like i'm sure they had to they had to do for the people that were still there the best they could not to say that people didn't like feel and weren't grieving and everything i'm sure that they were but it was just you know i was gonna get back to uh to people who probably think better than i do um and speak better than i do too so joy did speak about the fact that having visible grave markers was also a fairly new phenomenon most of the families she grew up with were too poor to purchase markers. If a family member couldn't remember where the graves were, they were very simply lost. Um, which is, I think we've, we've talked about, the, like, as far as, like, preservation and stuff like that. Um, yeah, if there's not a written record and the last person who knows, who has that knowledge, dies before being able to pass it on, then, yeah, it's gone until it gets accidentally found. They would put up, like, wood crosses, and, like, they would put up things that were wooden a lot of the time if they couldn't afford, like, a stone marker, and then, or, or even, like, the, the field stones that they would mark might get, uh, washed, like, they might get eroded with time, or grown over as well. And Joyce said that she missed the flower girls at the funerals. These are the girls that carry the flowers to the service, and she said what a pretty sight it was. So... Didn't know this, but apparently wasn't just weddings that have flower girls. Funerals also had flower girls, which I think bring it back. Bring back goth flower girls. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> Joy also felt that one couldn't spend as much time at the graveside because the workers are anxious to be done, which actually makes, it makes a lot of sense. And it's not their fault, but they got a job to do and they probably have other jobs to do versus like versus family doing it. And, you know, of course, family's going to stay there until everyone's, like, okay to move and okay to go on versus people that it's their job, you know, versus people that had, like, a, a, an emotional and personal connection to the deceased. So it makes, it makes, it's sad, but it makes a natural sort of sense, unfortunately. Uh, Neil spoke about the change of day to night for the time of funerals, since now most people don't farm. And have to wait to get off of work, which I also didn't think about. But yep, that makes, yep, most funerals, or a lot of funerals, or like a lot of, I know, like, I don't know so much about the funerals, but a lot of visitations happen at night. But it makes sense. It makes sense that, yeah, people are having to drive into town to get off of work versus stopping when you need to stop and going back when you can. Uh, and so this is from Wayne and Betty from Granger, Tennessee. They both remember hearing the church bells tolling. Wayne spoke on the fact that, like, if if the people were poor, if, like, the family was poor, wildflowers were gathered instead of buying them, which actually I think is beautiful and we should bring back. I mean, obviously don't, uh, don't forage endangered plants, but, you know, going and gathering uh, flowers from a local area sounds beautiful. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really nice. 
And here is a quote about Betty talking about the evolution of how the body of the deceased is dealt with. Oh shit. I forgot to say I forgot to say about um about the the man that Neil made the coffin for. I didn't see this. Uh, I, I did because I wrote it, but I, I forgot that I wrote it. Um, Joy helped uh, in the endeavor. She made the lining and the pillow for the coffin. Oh. Of his friend. Nice. So I didn't want to forget that part. So that's really sweet. Sorry. So jumping back to Betty. She said, usually the neighbor ladies came in and washed the body. And of course, now we're not aware of it. That's done even at the funeral home or the hospital room. The family is asked to step outside while someone cleans up the body. So that's a kind of procedure, which is a hygiene that they just do. Of course, now you also have to have the aspect of someone dies at home. The coroner must come and you cannot touch the body. You cannot move the body until the coroner has come. You couldn't, in fact. You could get into a little bit of trouble. <laughs> Just moving it from the floor, if the person has collapsed on the floor. You're really just not supposed to bother it. It's got to be covered and noted as natural. That's one of the advantages of hospice, for example, because hospice can bypass that. Which I also didn't, I did not think about, like, yeah, now you can't, even if people wanted to do it all natural at home, like, you would still have to... There might be, like, health codes that prevented it. I'm not sure. But also, like, you would have to, yeah, the coroner would have to come and be like, okay, um, everything looks good. No, nothing mysterious mm-hmm. has happened. Um, which I guess is good, right? I mean. Yeah. In, I some mean, ways, like, in some ways, I guess. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Checking to make sure that someone hasn't died under mysterious circumstances. That's probably good, but. But yeah, also like the family just not being able to immediately start, or at least such like, a change. Yeah, at least if you're in like a really weird position, or like I don't know, like indecent, like at least cover you up. Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of people wouldn't be like a lot of medical examiners wouldn't be dicks about. Just, I think like, as long as you don't touch it, as mm-hmm. long as you don't. As long as you, like, minimally don't touch the scene and maybe, yeah, and, like, just cover, don't touch. Mm-hmm. For you murderers out No, I'm kidding. Um... Stop giving murderers tips. Also, <laughs> stop assuming that our listener base is murderers. Oh, come on. No, I'm kidding. Uh... This ain't true crime. This is just, it's just my dark humor. It's not, it's not assuming anything about anyone. Oh, uh, Betty and, this is not good. I'm so bad with names and I don't mean to be disrespectful. And it's not that I don't think that their, that their contributions to this are not really important, but I swear to God, as soon as the words are out of my line of eyesight, it just, it's like, it's like a tabula rasa. Blank fucking slate. This God is, damn it, okay. That's just an object permanence problem. You're just mm. a toddler. Yep, just a toddler. Who can remember the word tabula rasa, but you know. Uh, <laughs> Wayne and Betty also stated that uh, evolving religious beliefs complicate burial plans. Uh, it is now common for family members to attend different churches. Ooh. So memorial gardens are being used more often, so family can be buried together, no matter what their religious affiliation. Which actually we talked about in one of, in our in our first season about the fact that you know for a long time it was if you were a member of the church you got buried mm-hmm. at the church. Uh, if you were not a member of the church, you might not be able to be buried at the church. So that actually is really yeah that's really interesting. It's just like yeah. People still want to be buried together, but also people don't have family plots anymore because they don't have that land. Also, I don't know if you can, I guess, I think you can bury people on your property, but you have to like, probably some kind of zoning ordinance, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I don't think you can do it here. I don't think you can do it in the city. Like, I've, I've decided to start a mini graveyard. 
Yeah, probably. Of my family. Probably not. It because pro- it probably has to be like a certain distance away from you know different stuff. Any municipal water sources. Or... Yeah, but I would imagine out in the country. I wonder if you could establish a new family graveyard now. Or if it would have to be an area where there already is one. I wonder if I wonder if stuff's different for like agricultural land or like agrarian land versus um commercial or residential. It's what all of our listeners are dying to know. I, Coming I, at you with the hottest zoning law action. <laughs> uh, I just googled it, and who 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 knows when this information is from i love random info this is from rome mm. monument uh which is a, a monument company like a headstone company most states make it perfectly legal to take a body home from the hospital nursing home or other institution and bury it on your private property only indiana california and washington state outlaw the practice totally so there are different laws for different states you said Indiana, Washington, and California? Yeah. See, California I totally get, because land is so precious. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Washington State or Washington, D.C.? Washington State. Oh, okay. I guess, like, I guess what I really don't get is Indiana. Who's to say what they're doing there? Who's to say? A handful of states, it says, be aware... The handful of states do require that you hire a funeral director to handle portions of the post-death process. So, yeah, there That's are like smart. six states that you have to have. They have to sign that everything's like been above board. and Yeah, a funeral director involved. Health codes. And, and Yeah, but Tennessee, as far as this website is concerned, fair game. Look up Davidson County. No, I'm kidding. Oh, uh-huh. wait, no, okay, here, here. From This is from Tennessee.gov, TN.gov. There are no state laws that prohibit where you can bury your deceased loved one. However, your county or local municipality... Ah, why can't I say that word? Municipality? Yeah. Can, uh, may have ordinances you have to follow. The one good thing about living in a... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, the one time a- when lawlessness goes in our favor. Here's a talk death article about how to create a family cemetery, a step-by-step guide. That makes it sound like one of the steps is going to be killing your family. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we need this on a mini so like, all right, kids. Yeah, teach people how you to know, make you a always family wanted to cemetery. know how to create your own family cemetery. Cool. Okay. Anyway, sorry about that aside, but No, it's no, it's great. It's can, great. Yeah, I'll put a link to the the how-to article. <laughs> in the show notes just happy halloween yeah <laughs> they're gonna think it's like some cute diy for like uh <laughs> for a uh, uh fucking uh decoration mm-hmm. it's like no 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 this is for a permanent decoration so this is from marvin the baptist minister from granger tennessee Marvin spoke about when the funeral home burned down in the 1960s and was rebuilt with a chapel. Families started having services in the funeral home rather than traveling to the church even. The time of the, sorry, the, time of the service has also decreased considerably. Here are some quotes by Marvin. So we're talking about like those really, really long services after you've just gone through like sitting up with the body and all the other stuff and making all the arrangements and like maybe some people maybe they needed it and maybe that was like maybe having that long sermon like maybe it gave them peace but for me personally i just feel like a cat with a cone on its head climbing the walls (laughs) so you know back years ago even before my knowledge if the preacher didn't talk for an hour and a half why he hadn't done the funeral justice but 20 or 30 minutes at the most uh, with a song or two is sufficient even with another minister doing the prayer it's about a half an hour he went on to tell me about the longest sermon of which he had knowledge all total in the funeral was about six hours and it was a friend of mine a mortician and i was riding with him to the funeral over there in cock county He said that he and his partner had the funeral in this very small church, and the minister met them at the church. He got up, 
And when he started out, he said he didn't have a whole lot to say. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. I think I'm reading this wrong. Hold on. I think that he went on to tell me is uh, Donna. Yeah, I think it's Donna. Um, yeah, the longest uh, sermon of which he had knowledge. All told, it, the funeral was about six hours, and it was this friend of mine, a mortician, and I was riding with him to a funeral over there. He said that he and his partner had the funeral in this very small church, and the minister met them at the church. He got up, and when he started out, he said that he didn't have a whole lot to say. And it took him two hours to say it. And just before he sat down, he saw another minister back there in the congregation. And he said, now so-and-so is back here, and he might have a word or two to say. Brother so-and-so said that he didn't have much more to add, but it took him about two hours to prove that. Oh, no. Sorry, it took two hours to prove that he couldn't. And then, when he concluded what he was going to say, he saw another minister. He called him by name and uh, said he might have a word or two. And he, as he stood up and said, I don't think I could add anything to what these two brothers have already said, as he was walking to the podium, and it took him two hours to point that out. And so it was a six-hour service. <laughs> and the weather, it was really cold, and they had a big potbelly stove and it was red hot you know burning up on the sides of the church and freezing on the other children crying <laughs> good lord <laughs> so i can't imagine putting a family through something like that i can't imagine there's such a thing as spiritual ignorance <laughs> i love this guy <laughs> just to make a long story short it's not the spirit of the lord but there's spiritual ignorance and then he said, to my knowledge, the last hand-dug grave was in, was in Central Point. It was dug by hand with a mattock, pick, and a shovel, and I remember whenever it was. And back in those days, they didn't have vaults. The grave itself was dug about eight inches wider at the top, and they'd go down, I believe. At that time, it was about six feet, and they would go down about four feet, where it was eight inches wider. And then they would narrow it down about eight, uh, eight inches narrower. And what it did, it made a ledge that they could put wooden boards across there. And that kept the dirt from sinking in on the coffin. That was the purpose. They had to leave a ledge on both sides of the grave. That was the way they did it, all dug by hand. That was the purpose of the tolling of the bell. Of the, sorry, that was the purpose of the tolling of the bell. That was calling to the grave diggers and let the community know that so-and-so had been sick and that they had died. And they pretty well knew who had died by the counting of the times the bell tolled. They pretty much knew who it was, but it was also called for the men to start digging the grave. That's it for, uh, that's it for Marvin. But yeah, I just, uh, I remember reading that and just being like, holy, like <laughs> six hours, six hours. And you've already like, and you've literally sat up till midnight the night before. Yeah. And getting all this stuff ready, I can, yeah. <laughs> what would you have done? Would you have left? Would you have just fallen no, asleep? No, because if you could? I mean, yeah, I probably would have just like fallen out, <laughs> knowing <laughs> me. Or like I would have lasted, and then I would have gotten pneumonia and died because I would have been on like the cold side. <laughs> mm -hmm. I would have, I would, have, I would have gone out like uh, William Henry Harrison. <laughs> mm -hmm. I stood in the cold for too long and then I died. <laughs> it's no shade on William Henry Harrison. I am saying that we are kindred spirits. Um, Some shade. A little shade. He should have worn a coat. He should have worn a coat. Come on, man. This next segment is from Steve, a mortician in Hamblin, Tennessee. The amount of time the family is uh, willing to spend between death and burial has shortened in his experience. I think people have gotten uh, to where anymore they don't want the lengthy type of services. They don't want to wait anymore. They want to go ahead and get it over with. Used to, it would take you maybe three or four days to have a, a final from start to finish. But now they get to where people anymore, they want to get over with it as soon as they can. They don't want to wait around on it, you know. 
You said ministers are now tailoring eulogies to be more about the deceased. So it's less about like fire and brimstone and damnation and salvation and more about, you know, the person who died. Um, and there is less preaching to be done. So his requests to bring the body to the deceased back home after embalming are almost non-existent by now. And that is uh, all from the dissertation. And it was really cool to like, got, it was really cool to get to listen to perspectives of people. If it's not written down or if it's not recorded, just kind of goes. Cause like, especially before society like recorded everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. And now it's kind of hard to imagine a society that doesn't record everything or that like, I guess to say that though, in the same vein, we have to remind ourselves that what we are recording is not always reality, but yeah, but yeah, just the, just the idea that like all of these stories, if, if we don't stop to listen, all of these like oral stories are going to go. So I think it's, I think it's cool that someone like stopped to listen. So are you, do you think that this is enough stuff, this is going to be enough stuff for two episodes? No. Uh. <laughs> so I was just thinking. Um, I have, I like, I, oh, I have, oh God, I have so many more pages. Oh, yeah, oh, no, God. no, 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 yeah. that's. At first I was just like, no, I'm probably getting to the end. No, I'm not getting to the end, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, so I would say it's getting dark. Don't stiffen up just yet, because we got another episode coming. Two part. Did you ever think worlds conspire? That you may be the next to time. They'll wrap you in a long white sheet from your head until.